In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. If you have been paying attention to the signs, or even if you have focused exclusively on the gospel readings lately, There have been many pointers to the end of time as we know it. Today's gospel reading prepares us for the second coming, the return of Jesus. Yes, the Lord is coming back, and he will not be pleased with what he finds. On the other hand, he will not be surprised either. Two weeks ago, I was preparing to preach on November 13th at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Prescott. I read with some trepidation the gospel reading for that day. Of course, you heard it here as well. The gospel reading for that day contained these words. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first but the end will not follow immediately. Then Jesus said, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and plagues and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. For those who were reflective on that day, the vision of war drew comparisons to the vision of Armageddon in the book of Revelation. It is a vision that generates a great deal of emotion and anxiety. And I would ask you to also remember that November 13th was the first Sunday after our national elections, which generated its own set of anxiety about the state of our country. On the other hand, November 13th was also three days after we celebrated Veterans Day in this country, which really was all about expressing gratitude to those who have served us in the armed forces. So I mentioned to a friend as I was preparing that sermon, I felt it was a great challenge in trying to address all the emotions and issues of that week during my sermon for that Sunday. My friend said quickly, Not so. Just ask, what if Armageddon is closer to home than we used to think? Oh my. Indeed. What if Armageddon is closer to home than we think, both in time and maybe even in geography? News of violence and war comes to us every day now. It's so commonplace that we have become numb to the effects of it, provided it is on someone else's turf. In fact, we have become so accustomed to hearing words about war and violence that the language of war has been appropriated in our political rhetoric and even in our descriptions of contests in sport. 
An example regarding political rhetoric is this. Various news agencies described our recent presidential campaign as an epic battle. Not an election, but an epic battle. Perhaps explaining why my friend asked, what if Armageddon is closer to home? And of course, post-election violence has taken us well beyond rhetoric because of deep division among us. Well, the text for that day and the gospel reading for today combine to wake us up, to disrupt our comfortable, ordinary routines in life. This occurs while all around us we are beginning an extended time we typically call the holidays, in a very dramatic counterpoint to popular culture, in the middle of bright colors and lights everywhere, the church year and the Advent season begin with the ending of time itself. The unfolding of this vision of the end of time is meant to shake us awake toward repentance and conversion. Contemplating the end of time invites us into a new kind of time, sacred time. It should thus be apparent Advent is not so much a time of merrymaking as it is a time of expectant waiting. Expectant waiting. Like waiting for the dawn, the comfort and the warmth, warmth which comes from the rising of the sun with each new day. I wonder how many of you can relate personally to that metaphor when I was in high school, my father used to awaken me at middle, in the middle of the night, usually around 11.30, to take me out to bale hay on our family farm in Gilbert because we had to wait for the dew to come in at night before baling. Otherwise, the leaves would all fall off the stems and the hay would be of very poor quality. Believe it or not, it used to get cold there on the margins of the desert, even on a summer night, and frequently I would have to put on a Levi jacket at about 3 o'clock in the morning. In those days, it was the warmest jacket I had, which wasn't very warm. Then, because the tractor pulling the baler was moving through cold night air, I would find myself anxiously waiting for the first sign of light in the east, expecting the dawn. It was especially cold as I drove toward the east because in the Gilbert area, the prevailing winds in the morning are out of the east. So I looked at the stars. I searched for the horizon. Farming at night can teach you something about God. Farming in the daytime can too, but not always the same things. Anyway, as I shivered in the darkness of the night and I looked toward the east, I wished that somehow the time for the rising of the sun could be accelerated. Of course, that did not happen, and I had to learn a lesson about expectant waiting. At the end of each round, again and again, my eyes would search the horizon. Having to wait even two hours began to feel like two days. 
Of course, two days is nothing compared to the time of expectant waiting we devote to Advent, to say nothing of the time of our expectant waiting for the second coming of Christ, which is part of the orientation we bring to this season. It is a season of challenge to those who think they can reach God by running faster. Advent also signals the possibility and hope of a fresh start. The Church annually carves out this period of expectant waiting to create time and space to grow, strengthen, and explore the boundaries of the soul. It's a time to try to quiet the soul in the midst of our busy, go-go culture. In the midst of it, there is a call to simplicity, poverty of spirit, and conversion. These things prepare the heart and mind for what is coming. Adequate preparation can make Christmas both wondrous and comprehensible. You will also notice that Advent is a season of mixed messages, a little bit like our current-day good news, bad news joke. If you only hear part of the message, you miss the point. If you only hear the good news, that being peace on earth, the Savior is born, you miss the wake-up call that warns us of a day of judgment that will one day come. But if you only hear the bad news, you miss the comfort and security that will protect the people of God from that judgment day. Some of us would be just as happy if Jesus had confined himself to a message about loving our neighbor, but he didn't. He also spoke about the day when he would come again to judge the earth. If we believe in Jesus, if we believe that he spoke rightly when he told us to love our neighbor, then we must also take seriously his promise that he will come again. He will come again on the last day. And that is what the gospel lesson is about today. Jesus will return when we least expect him. Some people read those verses and they are filled with terror, but others read those verses and they are filled with expectation. The difference lies in the fact that some will be prepared for his coming while others will not. Advent reminds us to get ready. I do believe that Jesus will come again in power and glory at the close of history. I believe that at that time he will redeem the world from all manner of evil, and that will be a good thing. Some look at the present state of the world and conclude because human affairs seem to be getting worse, the environmental state of the world is being degraded, and the Christian message seems to be drowned out by the forces of greed and depravity maybe the end really is near. Various ones have been saying that for a while. But if you think things are getting worse, you may be taking that message a bit more seriously now. There is plenty of evidence of evil in the world, and the old adage that might makes right seems to overwhelm what is good and just. I had a faithful friend collapse in despair recently, asking, as we all have at one time or another, why do mean and evil people always seem to win?
At times like this, we think it would be a good time for Jesus to come again. And indeed, now would be a good time. Any time would be a good time for Jesus to come again. So in contemplation of these things, we enter into a time of silence. In the stillness, the silence, we create for ourselves in Advent an opportunity to give rein to our spiritual longing. Some people fail to do this, leaving us to wonder if the spiritual hunger of our time is linked to the lack of respect for this season of longing, deep change, and anticipation. And for those of us who do recognize our own longing, what is it for which we are longing? Redemption? Change? Love? Peace? We are reminded of longing like that recorded by Isaiah, who yearned for a time when nations would beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, so nations would not lift up sword against nation nor learn war anymore. But then Jesus was born, and given the benefit of hindsights, we got new insights. We can see the ultimate significance in that birth. In the words of Anglican Bishop N.T. Wright, finally we understand it's words with flesh on them that change the world. Words that laugh with us, weep with us, correct us, rebuke us, teach us, and live with us. Words without the flesh will ultimately fall away. Yes, it's words with flesh on them that make all the difference. But the reason we celebrate Christmas year after year is that it is so much more than a commemoration. It points forward as well, and so our expectant waiting in Advent is also about the future coming of Christ and the fact that, in the meantime, God is continuing to come to us in myriad ways. Actually, my favorite book for Advent is The God Who Comes by Carlo Carato, a doctor of philosophy who at age 44 went into the Saharan desert to become a little brother. He learned to contemplate the God who's always coming in the wind, sand, and stars, and who is already here waiting to be recognized. He wrote, God is always coming. And we, like Adam, hear his footsteps. God is always coming because he is life, and life has the unbridled force of creation. God comes because he is light, and light may not remain hidden. God comes because he is love, and love needs to give of itself. God has always been coming. God is always coming. So, how is your faith as we enter this Advent season? Do you feel close to God and do you anticipate the return of our Savior? If not, perhaps Advent is a good time to embrace and accept the love of God in a new way, a bigger way, 
a way that translates to an actual dependence upon God, not just through some sort of intellectual assent, but in the same sort of way we have trusted in a parent, a best friend, a teacher, or a spouse. Those relationships are intensely personal. Our love of God should also be intensely personal. If that is not where you are, let us help you get there. If that is where you are, your eternity is determined and you are ready for his coming. While we await that day, may we experience the reality of that for which we prayed in the collect today. Remember the collect? We prayed, Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now, in the time of this mortal life in which your Son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day, when he shall come again in glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Yes, friends, the season of Advent is here. It does remind us that Christ who came in a manger will come again someday in glory. But it also points forward to each of our days, reminding us that through the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ comes to us every day in our joys and in our sorrows. I might say especially in our sorrows. And that Christ turns Good Fridays into Easter's. May your Advent season be especially rich and meaningful for you this year. Amen.